The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. God, I had something cute that I wanted to say before we actually started this week. I was pleased with the way that that worked last week, and now I have forgotten my cute little quip. We're just going to get into it. It'll come up. (laughs) Welcome to the Articulate Coven. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are the Articulate Coven. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. We are the original fan community and podcast for Interview with the Vampire and all of Anne Rice's Immortal Universe as brought to us by AMC and AMC+. Plus. In particular, right now, we're talking about the Mayfair Witches. The series is in its first season, episode we're four. We're the begrudging uh, fan cast. Yeah, there you the go. begrudging fan cast of the of the Mayfair witches right now. We, we we're having a we're having a time. We're having a journey here. Well, I'll say this, Ashley. I had things to say and a desire to say them about this week's episode. Uh, so maybe that's moving in the right direction. Let's put it like that. Oh hell yeah, absolutely. No, I'm having a great time with it. It's just, it's like, who are we and what what are we doing? <laughs> Uh, so we are speaking about the fourth episode of uh, the first season of Mayfair, which is from AMC and AMC+. Plus. This one's called Curiouser and Curiouser, uh, and, uh, and we're going to dive right into it. Spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen the episode, I always suggest watching the episode. Uh, as, as I've heard, at least some of our uh, <laughs> listenership watches it twice like we do uh, before we get into it. I don't know that I would suggest that for, for normal people, but honestly, Ashley... This week took twice right. to get into my head. For some reason, I felt you mentioned last me week too. you felt a like few... you were drugged. I, I felt like I was cloudy, yes. cloudy headed, or something. Something was going on. Well, you know, in Curiouser and Curiouser, this is a, a definite, obvious reference to um, to Alice in Wonderland. So, um, and and there's definitely some some falling down some pretty deep rabbit holes happening to our characters in this episode. So, I think that I mean, I think that they're leading us somewhere. And I'm interested to go there. I'm just not sure what's going on. My two favorite, most book-accurate moments for me so far in the series both came in this episode. So that's some high praise. We're going to get to both of them. Uh, Let's just jump in right from the very start. And again, very interesting opening scene. We've talked about this last week, especially I mentioned it seems like every episode opens with a very interesting moment and closes with a very interesting moment. This week they held that absolutely on the opening end. Uh, the witch funeral, very very yeah. cool. Yeah, I wanted more of it. Very They're cool. teasing us with this Suzanne story. I want more. It has some real midsummer vibes to it to me. Like you know, even though it was really dark and 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 kind of and very mournful and kind of scary, it, it doesn't have that same juxtaposition that Midsummer did with all the flowers and everything that happens in bright daylight. But it it had that sort of thing. Like this is the real. This is the real funeral. This is where you can really, really grieve her and show how you feel. Show her how you feel. Show the universe how you feel about this loss. It w- it's super interesting to me that we're now four episodes in. We've gotten these flashbacks, uh, you know, throughout. But we're we're halfway through the first season, and we still don't have even a hint of Lasher in these flashbacks. Of course. You know, the story of Suzanne is inextricably tied to the story of Lasher, and all we've gotten is the kind of faceless, voiceless whispers in one episode uh, so far from her. Yeah, this is one of the things that makes me kind of wonder if we're going to get all the way through this entire book this season. Um, I definitely don't. I mean, obviously, we're not going to get through all the past the past lives of the Mayfair witches, but um, I don't even know that we're going to make it all the way through the book, actually, because the, they're, they're really pacing themselves out pretty nicely to not, you know, go beyond their source material as far as, you know, storyline, what's given. I mean, they've gone beyond the source material in so many delicious ways, but... I mean, in that particular, like, you know, they're not, they're not game, game of thronesing themselves, which is getting ahead of their source material in such a fucked up way that you muck up the ending so badly. Uh, so how did you read the, uh, the, the switch there? So we get the Suzanne scene and then it, it switches immediately to Rowan, which is a common thing. We've seen that again and again, but this time Rowan is, writhing in ecstasy over Cyprian. I got super excited. I was like, oh, the mind melting last episode has led to some body melting. I'm in for it. Uh, no. Yeah, we just jumped right in. Dream? But no. Is it a, 
is it a lasher vision because it, it he eventually turns it it's cyprian at first and then it's lasher on top of her is how did you read that is that lasher uh giving her that vision or is it just a dream I kind of read as I did. It was about this, you know, intense sexual experience with Sip, and then Lasher catches on to her having this fantasy and busts into it. Mm, that makes sense. Uh, we get a, a very interesting line from Cyprian there that made me really think about uh, his backstory and and whether or not we're going to get it. I don't know. Uh, she's going through the room and she's sort of picking up objects like, "Who is this guy? Who is Cyprian Grieve?" And he makes the point that they're not his objects. He, he gets people to bring him things that contain good memories. And he says other people's yeah. memories are cleaner. What happened to Cyprian to give him his gift? That's assuming that he got it after a near-death experience like Michael did. In the book, Michael Curry is uh, drowned. He's, he's, he's dead, actually. And Rowan revives him. And that in that moment, he's given this gift of you know, visions through touch. Uh, there's a word for that. It's not telekinesis or, or but it, you know, there's a, there is a similar word for that. I don't know what it is. Psychokinetic or something like that. I think anyway, I'm assuming that Cyprian, especially with that line, there's some, you know, danger, damage, sadness in his past. I really yeah. hope you get to see that. If you're going to flesh out this character, particularly if they follow up on you know, my guess last week that they might give us some of the wrong side of the tracks, New Orleans life, you know, upbringing, whatever, through him and his sister. Um, I hope that's what this is hinting at. I, I'm excited to see. That's honestly one of the places where they've invented things that I'm excited to see what they do with it. And interested to see. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I'm very interested in his backstory. I also think that if you're going to ditch, you know, two, two what feel like kind of important characters to combine into this into this new character, it is important that we feel as connected to Sip as we do to Aaron and to Michael. I think that's really important um, because you need that buy-in a little bit from the, from the book readers. If you're going to get rid of two kind of beloved characters. So the way to do that is to make us give a shit about him and love him a little bit the way we do Aaron and Michael. Boy, I, well, I will say this character, this episode did give me, at least one character which i do care about i'm excited to see where they go we're going to get to that in a minute we get to the funeral and the funeral brings something that i want to point out because this is one of those scenes that i mentioned i think it's incredibly book accurate and i love the way that they did it harry hamlin at the funeral cutting deidre's hair off it's probably my favorite moment of the entire series so far. It is incredibly accurate to the book. This is something that happens. I'm not going to spoil for those that haven't read the book what the hair yeah. is for. But this is very much a Mayfair book thing. I'm super excited that they kept it. I'm assuming that it's for the same reason. And if not, I'll riot later in the season. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I caught, I totally caught that too and felt the same way. I was like, ooh, 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 ooh. I'm also, I love, I'm really enjoying this version of Cortland. Um, Harry Hamlin is hilarious. He's fantastic. He's ridiculous. He's over the top. He's everything that they've turned this character into. He also mentioned his father julian in this episode so we got julian mentioned by name for the people who were really worried about uh, with uh, worried about 100 percent julian erasure i don't think we're looking at that now hopefully yeah i think based on what the executive producers particularly the overall immortal universe producers have said i'm getting the sense now that they're holding back on most of the mayfair history because they plan on telling that in some some spinoffs they maybe even plan more yeah. Rich spinoffs in the short term than than vampire spinoffs. Interestingly, I, I wonder if that's about like Rollin knowing like we don't kill the golden goose. Like let's let's build a firm foundation, and you can you can throw some leaves off over there and see what sticks. But over here, right. I'm building a, a a thick stalk first before we go anywhere. Anyway, um, Julian exists though in this universe. Thankfully, thank God. Yes. So we Yay! will, or at least we can get his story in some way at some point. Uh, down the road. And so excellent. Yes. And I'll agree with you on Harry Hamlin too. I, you know, I made fun of him early on because he, he made fun of, oh, the, he's absurd. The of this, this book and he is very over the top. And I, I do still, I do find it interesting how they've combined several different characters to sort of figure out how to put this archetype of a character in the modern day storyline to pair with Rowan. But it does occur to me looking back or like, you know, 
imagining the alternative world where we have a more true to book adaptation. What interesting male figure of that generation would be in this show? Honestly, Aaron Leitner would there's be There's not one. No, there's not. Exactly. Aaron Leitner is older. And you've got you've got like Pierce is alive in the modern in, in the modern day Cor- in the book, but Pierce is boring. Right. He's so boring. He's like the, 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 like, follow the rules. Very good, very good Mayfair son, you know. Uh, He's even just Cortland, a though we know him to be a fucking creep like Cortland isn't even that interesting on paper really i mean he's a gross guy but he's not nearly as interesting as they've made this 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 new kind of version of the character but yeah pierce no, is just a fucking lawyer their side of the family is boring they're lawyers. yeah absolutely all i mean basically julian is the only interesting male character in the family uh, or, or at least in the, you know, there, there isn't one in the modern day. So I do, in retrospect, I sort of understand where they were going with that one. And I'm going to give it to them, especially because I am like you. I'm enjoying Harry Hamlin in the role. Uh, BT Dub, if you don't generally listen to the um, official podcast, of course, we want you to listen to ours first. But if you don't generally listen to the official podcast, I'd suggest checking it out this week. I'm only about halfway through it myself. But Harry Hamlin is the guest on the uh, most recent episode. So um, some some good content there, I think. Um, the other scene, though, that I loved so much from this uh, episode comes right after that scene. The rose petals at the funeral. Lasher blows yes. the doors open and fills the church with rose petals. This is not from the book, by the way. But the idea of the rose petals, which we've seen earlier with Deidre and the schoolgirls and that flashback from episode one, uh, that is in the book. This That's one is, of Lasher's sweet moves. It's one of his, yeah. like, yeah. Well, and it's it's very true to the character it, of Lasher from the book. It's one this of his, one it's how he woos right. and, Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. This was a this was a really it was it was lovely. That was a lovely moment. And and I mean earlier when you got a, a hint of it was really great too, but to see it kind of kind of in in, in almost almost like a, a, a different version of the, the witch the death of the witch storm, you know, was really pre- was really beautiful to see. Uh Ashley, let's talk about Sip and the Telemasca for a minute here. They are <laughs> They are, they are very worried about uh, Rowan and her safety. And yet they leave her at the funeral? Just all by herself? All by herself? And then let her just... Again, this woman does not know how to wander around New Orleans safely. We're just going to let her wander around. At least she's not wearing her pajamas this time. But my God, you're going to let her wander over to that house? Because you know she's going to end up at that damn house. I just... I don't understand it. So they sent... So first of all... We know that Sip's supervisor is in New Orleans. He's around, but also he sent that entire security team to do whatever it would do the voodoo on the outside of the building. Right of the building. the building a few episodes ago. Like, just send two of those dudes to hang out at the funeral with her. Like, you just stand in the back, like like anybody who lives in New Orleans that's attending the big Mayfair funeral. Anyway, I just. I don't understand what they're doing with the organization here, but that leads into the next couple of scenes. So first and foremost, um, the Talamasca has has run down the person who killed um, uh, Deidre. So Ooh, we were wrong. This was this cool. This a season long who done it. I liked it too, mostly. Although I've got a couple of nitpicks. Um, uh, he we we first see him being tortured it seems like by an unseen presence he's screaming and running and falling down all over himself almost gets hit by a car a couple of times it looks like a fight club seemingly (laughs) oh absolutely and it looks like he's about to jump off like a a, the the absolutely uh, the parking deck of this parking garage yeah and he's tackled by the a couple of talamasca members it's almost immediately uh clear and then they take him to i guess the the chapter house so he's restrained, and they bring in Sip to do a quote-unquote cold read on him. They're interrogation rooms. Yeah, which, by the Man. way, this is I did like the design of this. So far, I don't really like the look of the Talamasca, but I did like this room. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was interesting to see a little bit more of the guts of the Talamasca. So, but they bring in sort of, I guess, Sip's boss's boss. Uh, we're, we're led to believe this person is very important. The line is, Albrecht's here. He wants to work. He wants to watch you work. Um, this is a completely invented character. I went and double checked. This character does not exist in the alphabetary or, or in any of the, um, you know, uh, vampire companion or witch's companion books that I, that I own. Um, 
seems like this is totally invented. I like this actor, by the way. That I had to look it up. I couldn't think of his name. Dennis, and I'm probably mispronouncing the last name, Busakaris. Uh, Dennis Busakaris is the guy's name. I like this actor just fine. But it occurs to me, though, okay, fine, invent a character, I guess. There's not enough Talamasca members to, to include by name, sure. But even if you're going to invent him, you couldn't make this guy British? This old guy who's supposedly <laughs> one of the bosses? <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah. I, it's so strange. It's such a different version of this group than I've ever imagined before. It's just absolutely, absolutely bizarre to me. It's so very different than how I imagined the Talamasca. Right now, it feels it's got like a, a cross between like a um, an X Files meets the first season of of uh, Agents of Shield, I, and it's so strange to me. Okay, you know what it makes me think of, Ashley, and this is and honestly, so far it's not even as good as this, but this is the closest to me. Did you ever watch the Highlander TV series? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, absolutely. The Watchers. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure they're called The Watchers. All right, The Watchers organization in the Highlander TV series is literally a Talamasca ripoff. You got to you do look at the dates. The, the Witching Hour had come out like a year or two before uh, uh, the release of the first season of the Highlander TV series. And it is straight up the Talamasca. They renamed them. They made them about immortals instead of, you know, immortal sword fighters instead of vampires. But it's it's the it's the same sort of thing. They watch and observe. They don't interact, etc. They don't interfere. Except they do. Except, except they, do. they totally do. <laughs> yeah. And, and anyway, I loved the Watchers, but they were always like a cheap cable version of the Talamasca. Well, this is like a cheap cable version of the watchers is what it feels like so far. I I'm, I'm sad <laughs> a little yeah, bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, because in my vision for like, and we've talked about this, like in kind of in our vision for this whole expanded world, the idea of like tales of the Talamasca sounds like a fucking good time to me, but now they've done such strange things to it. I'm not sure that I'm even, that that would be an even feasible direction for them to go into, you know? I mean, I guess, again, I guess if if we want to, I mean, one thing that they might have done here by not using a named Talamasca member from the books or even giving him a British accent, they've still, we maybe we're in like literally just the New Orleans branch. We've only seen like the Louisiana representatives of the Talamasca. And so the A-team has not even showed up yet. I do feel that. I do think that is true. I do think that we're kind of seeing just this very, um, like a slice of it. I don't think that we're, we're, we're seeing the full expanded universe, if it were, of, of the Talamasca. I really do feel like everything we've seen has been sort of related to this one New Orleans location, this one New Orleans uh, mother house. And I think that, that, that that's, that that's kind of been the limited view we've had so far. So I definitely think there's chances for us to expand and, and to explore different things and for it to be the, a bit of a richer world, like we hope it will be from your lips to God's ears and <laughs> Roland Jones ears and Mark Johnson's ears and every, and Spalding, just, uh, Spalding's ears and all of the people that can make, we'll changes. just start Please. following them around and whisper <laughs> creepily and in, in behind them as we walk right behind them. These books are actually really good. You should read them. Stories <laughs> <laughs> are really um, great in the book. Maybe you want to tell some of that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we get the scene though with uh, Deidre's killer, who where it's I mean it's clearly he's possessed by Lasher, oh, and yeah. Lasher is sort of like moving him around. This really neat herky jerky special effect that they've got going on that was actually pretty cool. And then eventually uh, Lasher kills him, breaks his neck, and then leaves the body. <laughs> and we get to yeah. see uh, a pretty cool effect of of um, uh, Jack Houston standing up out of the body through Cyprian's eyes, kind of as he as he touches the body to check for pulse. I dig all of that, except like Lasher doesn't work that way. And I want, so in the books and here, here is a, even for non book readers, this is a little bit, not spoiler, but some of the backstory that you get in the files of the Mayfair family is you get some ideas of the experimentation that members yeah. of the Mayfair family have done with Lasher over with the Lasher, years to see yeah. how he could take physical form in particular. And it's fucked up. There's some fucked up shit. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy, and I, I and I think we're likely to get there. But what's Marguerite? Stuff, is it Marguerite that? 
I think she's the primary one, yes, that does it over and over again. Yes, that does them in corpses and, and living flesh as well. But in all of those, so you end up with like these test tube lashers basically, and there's like literally heads in jars and things of where he's sort of like half transposed the form into his own. Um, but I wonder though, if, it, if it's possible for him to marionette this guy and torture him like this, if he can just snap his neck, I, I mean, I, it feels like those experimentations would have gone farther or that he would, I, I don't know, it feels like that's going to hamstring them on the overall arc of what Lasher wants to do and how this book and why he needs to do it. Wraps yeah, up. If he can, yes. If he can be just be in a body and make the body do what he wants it to do, though I guess part of it was that he couldn't really control the guy. He was having a really hard time, you know, controlling him. Yeah, maybe it was, it's literally, there's another personality there struggling. But that makes me wonder, okay, if you if you found a body that was brain dead, you know, yeah. could, he, could he just take that body and walk off with it? I don't know. I mean, and, and, um, and maybe that's something that the show is building to as well. So I'll try to give them the benefit of a doubt there because overall I did like that scene. The I didn't see that. It was that, so cool and fun. Break, break your own neck in front of me. That's crazy shit. I love it. I will always fight right? on that. I, I don't know why. That sort of gag. I'm like, whoa, you killed yourself that way. Love it. <laughs> uh, that scene also, though, gives us this hint at something's going on within the Talamasca, I guess. Albrecht, the guy who's come in to, to watch Sip work. I think clearly has something to do with what's going on here. Um, are we going to have infighting inside the Talamasca, a, a coup attempt or something? I think clearly because the wiping of the elevator had to have been done by someone with some sort of psychic power that could not have just been done by Carlotta. That could not have been done by Lasher. I think that had to have been done by, you know, someone with the Talamasca. I just don't see how it could have been anyone else. So, so Cyprian brings that up and says, you know, I think there's a supernatural element here. And uh, Albrecht's answer was, oh, well, thank you so much. You've gone above and beyond. And Kelly immediately snorted, sitting beside me, my wife, snorted and said, yeah, when you tell somebody that they've gone above and beyond, it really means you've gone too far. <laughs> you've gone too far. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, look how well you've done. We'll see you reassigned to the, you know. To the, to the hinterland. Exactly, exactly. Um, all right, I want to move on to the character that I mentioned earlier who I've kind of fallen for. In the episode, I was intrigued. In the in the follow-up of the episode, as I did a little research, I, I fell in love. Uh, I want to talk about Josephine, Cortland's daughter. Yes, yes. So I... now, Josephine, or JoJo, apparently, uh, she goes by, personally, uh, Cortland calls her Josephine directly in the episode, but I think later we're going to see her go by JoJo. Where did this character come from? I was sort of confused. I'm like, why? Did, JoJo doesn't exist in the books. First of all, as we've mentioned, Cortland isn't even alive in the modern-day right. storyline. It's it's Pierce, his descendant. But there's no JoJo as, an, as a niece or a daughter or granddaughter or anything that I can remember or that I could find. Um, but... I immediately was like, well, this is interesting. She's got sass. She's got great style. Clearly, they're doing something with this character. What's the deal? I found a great article, which is going to be linked in the show notes, by the way. Jen Richards is the actor's name. Uh, Jen is a trans actor. And she, uh, in the article that I've linked to, I think it's great. Jen is a book fan. In particular, she's a Mayfair fan. And she says that she had trouble with the first few episodes of the show because of how much they deviate from the book story. And she sort oh, of wow. put it aside in her mind and go, well, this is like inspired by the Mayfair Witches as yeah. opposed to a direct adaptation. And I, I'm like, okay, okay, wait a minute. You've got my attention. Um, but she goes on and, and in the interview, they discuss the character of, of Josephine. They discuss whether or not Jojo or Josephine is actually trans in the show. And apparently it's not a topic that comes up at all in this season one. And then there's a discussion of that. You know, do it does queer representation in media have to be a plot thread or or is it important also to have characters whose uh, transness <laughs> or queerness exactly just is part yeah. of their existence and not even remarked upon in particular uh, Jen's headcanon is that uh, 
JoJo is trans, that it happened a long time ago, and that all the people that we see them interact with in the show are family members, basically, and long time, you know, Jen, uh, Josephine's well-known in the area, and every anybody who had a problem with this long since got over it. Her money, her authority, her charisma and charm have more than, you know, uh, paved over any issues that arose. Right. And it's just the way that things are. But in particular, Jen's idea, and again, the article goes into this in more in depth, but her idea is that she was terrified to make the transition because of her family and her, her father's status in particular. And yet when she came out, uh, Cortland was very welcoming and affirming and, you know, lovingly responded to it all. And so that connection when her father accepted her when she didn't really expect him to um, has sort of tied her to her to him in a way that makes her overlook oh. some of his more nefarious qualities which I think yeah. is really interesting backstory deep backstory I hope they hold it the one thing that occurred to me though thinking through that all and reading through that all the nature of Cortland's association to the rest of this family and again we've hinted at it I think we've mentioned it in previous times I don't want to mention specifics in the middle of the episode here as things unravel but the nature of his association to the rest of the family if that's where they go if if Jojo is trans and they do have that backstory of him being understanding and accepting it makes it makes for really interesting potential storylines as Josephine understands some of the things that her father is responsible for. And also it, it could potentially have interesting um, comments to make about Cortland himself. We've talked already about how Julian, you know, being the lone male member of the family who sees Lasher or is sort of considered the witch of his generation. Um, in this show, they've given Cortland at least some of those Qualities. qualities. He yeah, is yeah. clearly connected to the mystic side of the family. He does see Lasher and clearly has seen Lasher in the past, spoken to him even. So knowing that, knowing the family's ties to the powers to femininity, I mean, again, makes me wonder, oh, Cortland, is this like maybe in a different generation? Would he have maybe considered himself trans? Is that, does he see some of his own gender fluidity perhaps in his daughter's storyline and that's why he's so excited anyway i think there's interesting things to go in there that the book never really goes into especially in the modern day that have the potential to come out through this character and their presentation on the show um so i got my fingers crossed for that that it's not just wasted effort yeah. clearly jen's yeah, yeah. bringing her a game to the show and and i am so glad to know there at least is one example we asked the other day like where's the book nerd on set well jen richards well, was one of the book nerds no, on set i mean got one thank you know, god yeah I'm how really, much voice she has was, in the writer's room i i would i would right. not guess that but anyway no probably not much but i was immediately like captivated by by her performance she i mean i was completely drawn to that character um and I, of course like you i was in, i was trying to figure out like is this an, an amalgamation character is this a brand new character like what what's what's the deal with josephine i loved how she took um because she's you can tell she's very much of her dad's side on her dad's side she was like are you sure you want carlotta to be the one that is the one that's teaching her about our family. And she swoops right in there and takes Rowan under her wing, gets her a cocktail, takes her to the quiet dining room where she can show her all the portraits and talk about, you know, talk about her, you know, that her, uh, her, what she's going to inherit the inheritance and everything. Teach her about the designee and all that. She's now in control of what Rowan's learning at that time. And I think that, I love that move. And I loved, um, I loved her, uh, shout out to Mary Beth as being her favorite. I thought that was kind of a cool thing with the, with the vibe of, of this trans actor performing this role and Mary Beth being a character who loved to, who loved to dress as a man and, and, and experience life through that eye. So I was, I was in love with those few scenes. I thought it was fantastic. Those are the things, like you said, that made me really excited as a book reader. I was like, this is, and even though, it's a new character. It made me excited as a book reader. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. All right. That was maybe the most praise we've given we've given this show in one segment solidly so far. So <laughs> kudos to us. Thank you, Jen, for helping us find it. We're yes, going to transition, yes. though, because I got a bone to pick. I want to talk about Tessa. All right. First of all, 
Ashley, I knew that I needed two watches for this episode because I uh, had gone and started reading the comments in our Facebook group, which, by the way, links in the uh, show notes for our Facebook group and our Discord community. If uh, Facebook's not your bag, join either one of those great conversations going on all week long about this show, about Interview with the Vampire, about the books themselves, about Anne Rice and fandom in general. Lots of cool stuff. Lots of cool people. You should join us. Uh, b- by the way, like 20-something members added to the Facebook group last week. Yeah, that was exciting was to awesome. see. I kind of yeah. thought... Kind of thought this show was was died down. Maybe we'd we'd already built our audience. Thank you guys. It's nice to have you all <laughs> Thanks aboard. Thanks for hanging out. But um, thanks for coming Tessa, along. The, uh, the folks mentioned in the comment thread, Tessa equals Mona. Tessa, I, why are they changed Mona to Tessa? It's got to be the same character, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wait a minute, who Tessa? I don't even remember a Tessa. And I was, at first I was like, they mean Josephine, right? But Josephine's not Mona. Josephine's Cortland's daughter. That that can't be Mona. Mona's further down the line, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I'm running these things and I'm like, wait, wait, you got to go back and watch this episode again. So I did. I watched the whole thing again. <laughs> and sure enough, there she is. She comes yeah, through little, uh, to, at the start of the blonde. funeral. Cute little blonde girl. Yeah. And she starts to talk to Rowan immediately. Her mom shoes her away. Don't get on your social justice high horse. Not, not today. And then later, when everybody's clouding around Rowan, uh, Tessa comes up, starts talking, and and her mom actually introduces the subject of the the burned women. So again, Tessa's going to be involved in this witch hunt storyline, clearly. Also at the funeral, and I I, I didn't see this one the first time, but she comes up to lay uh, flowers for Deidre, and her photo is taken, uh, Tessa's photo is taken by the same creep. From the uh, coroner's office that that was in the previous episode talking about witches, so I, they're building towards something there. But Tessa, I mean, she's just got to be the Mona character. Uh, otherwise, why would you have two girls of that same generation? Mona would be younger at this point in the in the book. Younger, but yeah. I'm, we talked about younger. how they were going to age her up. She'd be in high school at least, if not older. This is again, the Mona character. I. I suspect that I don't too. understand I why they changed the name. Her up a little bit. I prefer them aging. Her oh, up I'm a with bit, you. Because again, that storyline. Oh, it gets nasty. Get, uh, kind of, kind of icky. So, <laughs> so it's it's nice that they've that they've you know done her some justice. But yeah, why bother changing the character name? Like, I don't care what her hair color is. I like, but why bother changing the name? Well, especially when she's one of, if not the main character of the second book in the series i mean mona becomes well i don't want to anyway she's a super important character yeah she crosses over with the vampire chronicles down the road mona matters in a way maybe even don't hate me for it that rowan doesn't in the long term honestly like rowan is a character like louis if you wanted to you could sideline him after season one or two yeah rowan could right off into the sunset and never appear again, even though she does appear in the books later. But you could. She's not so integral to the ongoing narrative that you would need her. Mona is. And not only that, Mona is roughly our age. I I thought I, I had to go look this up. I was thinking, based on when the books came out, that Mona was roughly our same generation. You know, I talked uh-huh. when, we, when we when we did the episode about Interview with the Vampire, Kirsten Dunst and I are the same age. So her version of Claudia was my age when I went to see that movie. And so right. like, all of the like strange hints at sexuality there and her own burgeoning adulthood as she develops, all of that was what I was feeling at the time too. I was super identified with her portrayal. It still hits home for me. Mona was that in the books for the Mayfair witches when I got, especially in Lasher, because she is such a big character there. I don't even think she appears in in the witching hour, but in Lasher, the portrayal of Mona was so compelling and she was my age. The way that she looked at this world was enticing and like she understood the power and she understood the mysticism and she, she understood the danger too, it seemed at least, and, and was like just grabbing it all by the balls like Julian, which is a character that we've already talked about. We like a lot, you know, right. I don't don't know, man. Mona in the books is Blanche Devereaux of the Mayfair family, right? Like she makes a promise. (laughs) She makes a promise to herself at the age of 12 that she's going to screw every single male Mayfair member, uh, Mayfair family member. And I think she basically accomplishes that by the end of it too. 
It's a real weird goal. It's a real, that's a real <laughs> weird thing to shoot for. You could be anything you want to be. You could fuck all your uncles. <laughs> Just yikes. Well, but she's also in the book. Little she's girls also everywhere you know everywhere can always know that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's she's in you know she's uh, fascinated with Ophelia from from uh, Hamlet and she she's, oh yeah no I don't know she's like super artistic and super intelligent and she she's no, got she, a head for business it. it ends up gets, anyway she gets the way this family is she Asher she gets it she really does more than some people well and we get a hint that I mean she she tells Rowan I'm excited about a designee who's going to use the the family's you know power yeah. for good. So well, okay great that's that Rowan Rowan moving forward to start like the medical facilities and things that she was I hope we see that. You know I hope that we see some um some positive action and and again like we're as we all sit and beg for Rowan to have more agency as a character in this that's the kind of shit I want to see. Me too. Me too. Uh, this is when we get our Julian reference. We already discussed that though. I am excited that he, uh, he is in this universe. Let's go ahead, Ashley and skip ahead. I want to talk about this final scene. Cause I got a feeling we probably both got a lot of things to say. Uh, Rowan and, um, Carlotta, as everyone oh. finally left for the funeral, they're all gone home after the party and the two of them are alone for dinner. Uh, Crazy it, Carl. Sends the, the help home. And then starts this conversation with Rowan where she begins to unburden herself about how much she hated Deidre. I don't, I mean, okay, first things first. <laughs> I have done quite a bit of smudging in my time. Uh, you and I both did some yes. outdoor drama. Yes. And this is very common practice. You, you'd light the smudge stick. You'd say a little prayer, a little meditation, whatever your higher power or, or, or central thoughts are. You'd center yourself there, and you'd get ready for a great performance and a great, a great safe show, right? That's, that's the hope. You get rid of the bad spirits and bring only positivity to the stage. I've never seen a smudge stick burn that, that hard. I think the point is to mostly blow it out where it's just the smoke, right? Carlotta yeah, that, I mean, don't know how to do it. That's the point, but I think her point was to light that bitch on fire. Like I don't think she had any any intention of smudging out any shit. Let that burn like it was a Molotov. <laughs> like that was not so, spirit spiritual use of the sage. It was a weaponized <laughs> a weaponized prayer if ever I've heard one. Oh man, not a spiritual use of the sage. Strong title contender for this episode, yeah, I got to tell right? you. Um I've why didn't Rowan kill this bitch? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You Why know, didn't like, uh, I don't know. I don't know because maybe she's afraid if she does, she's not going to find out the things she wants to know. So that's the I real mean, that's question the, is not the real question is not why Rowan didn't do it. Why didn't the showrunners let Rowan kill? Why didn't well, the showrunners want Rowan to kill this bitch? But I mean, yeah. this she does in the books. This is one of the deaths I mean, they've already given her a death that she doesn't actually commit. The the pharmaceutical guys sort of invented, but the but she kills Carlotta. They get together. Carlotta reveals, yeah, I'm the one that hid your birth, and and let me tell you why. And Lasher's evil, and you ought to burn this house to the ground. She, by the way, Carlotta doesn't burn the house to the ground or attempt to. She tells Rowan she ought to. Yeah. And then and then Rowan, when she's going into all of this stuff about you should never have come here and your mother was a waste of time and blah 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 blah, Rowan blows her head up. You know, she she gives her an aneurysm like she's already we've seen her do. I don't understand why they didn't just let her do. I mean, this actress is great. She's fine. Keep the actress around. But you killed Annabeth Gishoff. <laughs> yeah, I could see wanting another episode to episode or two of Beth Grant. But but Yowza, this bitch is supposed to die. And we kind of need her to to kind of get things going in Rowan's favor, I feel like. So it's kind of odd that we're that we're stuck here. Um, with this, this, this shocking accident that happens at the end of the scene that no one could have seen coming. Yeah. That's another one. Like, and I saw, and I saw it coming as soon as she pulled the blade. I'm like, well, of she's not going to stick that coming. in. She's not going to stick that in Rowan, but here comes Sip breaking into the house in a minute. She's going to stab Cyprian. Why in uh -huh. the world are they going to stab Cyprian? And I don't get it. I mean, again, if if Cyprian didn't have his power yet at this point, 
Well, I well, guess this life, could be a way to subvert the Rowan thing. I mean, the Michael his, thing. His and now he's got powers. In, but Yeah, but his life has already been in danger once they let Rowan save him to already kind of build that relationship. So I just... Shit, I wish I that's understood. right. I forgot. Yeah, they already, already tried to kill him once one. this season. We already did this fucking once this season. So I'm like, what the hell, you guys? Why don't we kill the old bitch and get on with our lives? <laughs> oh, man. And Lasher locks them in. I don't get that either. What is he doing? You're not going to kill that. You're not going to kill that bitch. You might kill the old bitch. Don't kill the new bitch. I don't understand. Yeah, you I don't know understand not... what they're doing. No, it's confused. It's very confusing. Um, I am. Uh... Oh, oh, wait, I just got to go back to this because I was so this scene fucked me up so bad in the last episode. Carlotta did have to go back down to the basement and dig in that lady's mush to see if the oh. necklace was still there. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of that. Um, that was no, pretty. No, and that's a, no, and it's it's a great point too, though, because again, like, what did Carlotta think was gonna happen? She knew what yeah. First of all, she heard him banging her skull against the wall, so like, it was only a matter For of hours. time until she killed uh, until she was dead. But then once Lasher kills this this person, you know he's no longer tied to her. So what did you imagine he was going to do? He's going to steal that necklace and go clean it up so that his girl can get it. Like, you know yeah. that that's what he's going to do. <laughs> I mean, she's not even that surprised when she gets down there. I'm just like, it's a bad plan, Carl. Like, come on. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I loved it You're when... You're smarter than that. I loved it, I loved it when... Uh, uh, Harry Hamlin calls her Carl when he first comes into the house, uninvited, by the way, and then immediately says, thanks yes. for the invitation. Sorry, we're late. You know, uh, Carl, there you are. Uh, in the book, almost everybody <laughs> refers to us as, as Uncle Carl and I, or, or Aunt Carl, excuse me. And I had some aunts that went by shortened names into the masculine form like that, like tough old biddies, you know? I had a couple oh, yeah, of aunts an, like that. Oh, yeah, I have family, an Aunt Bill. So it's neat. Yes, yeah, I have man. an Aunt Bill. Uh, so Hell yeah. I've got it. I've got an aunt mutt. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I have an uncle. They call her mutt. Into the shit. <laughs> there you mutt go. There awesome. you go. Mutt is awesome. So, anyway, I I don't I don't understand where this is headed. I did enjoy the trailer for next episode. Like it was an interesting composition. I just I think to myself though. Are we going to do a bottle episode where they're stuck in like a both Cyprian and Rowan are stuck in, you know, a mine palace for for a lasher in the house somehow? Like, is that what they're hinting at? Oh, That's God, what it looked I like. Not. I don't want one yet. I don't think it's time for a bottle episode of the show yet. Ugh. I mean, we've got I so much that. plot. We've got so much plot. Yeah. I mean, you. Yeah. You 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 fucking made your bed. Lie in it. You can't have this isn't a show for a. A bottle episode. <laughs> Though I did watch well, one and of if the best, best examples of a bottle episode I've ever seen in um, uh, this uh, last ep most recent episode of Last of Us was fucking amazing. Just if um, FYI, everyone should watch that show if you're not. I have heard so many people say Shit, the third Joel. episode is that's the one you're talking so about, fucking, right? Is that yeah, good? We, so we're going to jump on it this week because of all the praise. You, gotta, you can't it, wait. So. You can't wait. It's yeah. too good. I mean, you can't wait. It's too, and I don't think you'd be able to binge it anyway because it's just it's a lot. It's anyway, heavy. Yeah, it is a lot. To the show we're talking about. I just think a bottle <laughs> episode. Uh, we're not. I don't. God, that would be very limiting for the show. And not, I don't well, think if it would we do anything to make it better. <laughs> I think it would only do things well, to make if, us be like, shit, they ran out of money. Yes. If we hadn't, if we hadn't already been introduced to this dangling witch hunter storyline, if we hadn't already been introduced to this dangling Talamasca uh, conspiracy storyline, you know, we've got the who killed Deidre. We know who physically killed her, but why? Who paid for it, right? We don't know that. That's out there. Hired, who hired the guy? All these things that are extra that are extra book, right? They're not in the books. These are things invented for the series. You can't afford to spend a whole episode in my mind out of 8 with just, you know, three or four characters in in the the house, you know, diving into their character development and entwining them closer together. I don't think you can afford to do that. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope it's great whatever they do. I don't know. All of the trailers have been slightly misleading. You and I talked 2 That's weeks ago <laughs> about how, you know, we expected we were going to get the download of the Mayfair family history because they were showing us these paintings and talking about the matriarch. It was like one line basically. And Josephine didn't even know <laughs> all their names or or which centuries right. they all lived in, which I kind of loved. Oh, 
there is a scene with Sip at Telemasca headquarters, and he's got the files out. Our favorite uh, <laughs> clerk shuffles by, and I guess she smells <laughs> the files because she's she blind. <laughs> she could smell the Mayfair she, files in the air, you guys. She, I fucking love it. She's that. like walking by. She passes him up and she stops. She goes, Cyprian, do you have the Mayfair files out? Uh, yes. And then she asks, she asks, um, Dutch or uh, Haitian? Is that what she says? Dutch or Haitian? Haitian. Dutch or Haitian. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I saw, nice. <laughs> so I right. saw some comments in the Facebook group about the, the, that comment and are they you know building like two separate branches of the family no this is this is references to two separate parts of history the mayfair history in the novels is broken up into one set of files from uh the netherlands from from dutch largely from the pen of peter von abels who that's kind of be like is suzanne the beginning of this story deborah suzanne deborah and right. That's about where it stops. And there, Deborah's though. and Deborah's daughter, I think he gets all yes. the way. Peter Peter von Abels does go to oh, yes, uh, that's the right. Caribbean, yep. but only that's right. right at the very end. Um, <laughs> but <right>. then <laughs> you're right. Yeah, you forgot. Now you remember. But but anyway, the Haitian storyline is just the second chapter of the Dutch storyline. So the family starts in Scotland, moves to the Netherlands, moves to uh, Haiti, and then moves to uh, New Orleans, you know, that's the flow of the Mayfair family. So here we go again, just like the Julian mentioned, all of that exists. That's all real out there somewhere. And I guess we're going to get it in a spinoff, I guess. I, love that I don't know. I think I, it's that's cool fine. and reassuring that we're going to, that it exists. Like, it's not like it's all been retconned, you know, it exists for us. We, we may get it in some form or fashion, either within this series or in another one. So I think that at least there's that comfort, you know, I did have the thought this week that I have had more than a few members of our community suggest to us, or me specifically, that I should watch the originals, which is the spinoff and, and sort of sequel slash prequel series to The Vampire Diaries, which of course is all based on a book series turned into TV shows. The book series predates the Twilight series, but the TV show is very much uh, in response, it was made in response to the success of Twilight, and so it's 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 I think got a little bit of that flavor to it. The originals is about older vampires. It's it's largely set before the Vampire Diaries series, and is from all accounts a much better series, a much more satisfying series for vampire fans like us. Um, I thought to myself, maybe that's what happens with the Mayfair Witches. Maybe we maybe the first series is fine, a little you know low-key and trite and the second series the sequel series is actually like polished and cool <laughs> yeah i mean who the hell knows what we're gonna get at this point it's such a strange thing to, to be looking at both of these series that interview with with which we were just completely um enthralled with and then and then our witches where we're just a little confused kind of uh that juxtaposition is just really strange and the fact that we're covering both of them is so funny to me but I love it and I'm watching it and I'm not hate watching it yet. I don't think I'm I don't think we're gonna get to hate watching, honestly. I think I think it's gonna be all right. It's just not it's just not an interview, and that's what we've gotta own up to. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're gonna get to hate watching. I think this is gonna be fine. I just you you have to calibrate because honestly, interview with the vampire was like not just a, a good adaptation of a you know, a source material that you and I both are so passionate about, but it was also just genuinely good, compelling premium television, which is even in this day and age where we get so much TV, good premium television is still rare. It's still noticeable. You know, you talk to your friends about The Last of Us. You talk to your friends about Andor last year, you know, was another series. Oh I'm not, I didn't grow Jesus. up, you know, loving uh, Cassie and Andor and emulating him like I did Lestat. And yet that series was just amazing. I told everybody that's remotely interested in Star Wars or science fiction about it. That's what happens yeah, when you cross absolutely. really good art. And so you just have to calibrate. There's, there's great art. And then there's really decent programming. And that's what this is. It's very decent programming, you know? Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's nothing like we don't know where it's going or we only know where we've been so far. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we still have what we're about halfway there. We've got four episodes left. I think that there's, you know, exactly, a yep. lot of, you know, a lot of time left for them to 
for them to get us where they want us to be. I think we'd probably all feel a little bit stronger about things if maybe we had any sort of idea roadmap wise where we're going to end up. <laughs> but like right now, I'm so fucking confused. I have no idea what's going to happen next. And that's kind of cool too. You know, it's like, it just kind of puts us back in that, in that, you know, in that seat of being a reader that still doesn't quite know what's happening. It's like I read it while I was like six beers in or something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, maybe that's the way we need to watch the show. We just all need to drink a little more before we that's turn what, on the what, tube. What was that? Ashley H said uh, she was, uh, she had a medium margarita at lunch with her sister. Now she was going to watch this fourth episode of Mayfair's in the hopes that the tequila will make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of our That's one perfect. of our buddies in our Facebook group, and I I laughed so hard when I read that. I was like, maybe that would help. <laughs> Jose Cuervo, take the wheel. Um, yes. All right. In between here and next week, uh, enjoy yourself. Watch episode five of uh, the Mayfair Witches and uh, rejoin us. Check out The Last of Us if you haven't. You've got access to HBO yeah. Max. You've, you've heard uh, Ashley's recommendation. I'll throw in my I'm little uh, pop culture recommendation. So we, I haven't finished it yet. I'm an old person. My wife is an old person. And we uh, got about an hour deep and paused it last night to finish tonight. But we did start watching Megan. Uh, Mithrigan is how I've been oh, pronouncing yeah. it. The, uh, the killer robot movie. It, it, it's really, really good. And you know what? You know what's also interesting? I, I, I mentioned yesterday, you've got, it's such a compelling moment, I think, in pop culture. If you're at all a horror fan or you like genre material, you've got, kind of like the the base you know what call it what you want to popcorn um you know f filler fluff fair whatever the, the just for fun stuff like megan i would say very much like that coming from bloomhouse you've got just a ton of great horror low you know low budget and kind of high concept often but quick and dirty horror movies from from bloomhouse then you've also got these incredibly high-end art house pieces from A24 on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Like you referenced Midsummer earlier. I, yeah. I was thinking about The Witch so much with this series, obviously. Oh. And uh, Spalding even mentioned they're very much referencing uh, Eggers, The Witch, in their Suzanne storylines. Um, anyway, what a time to be alive that you like oh, consistently get a rhythm of releases of like really interesting original content from both those houses in particular, you know, just from interesting visionary directors like Eggers, for instance. It's so much fun. It's such a, I, I say that all the time. Like it's such a great time to be a nerd in this world, like with all of the star Wars and with the Marvel and with all of the great like content like that, we're getting, um, Last of Us, and but as a horror movie fan, which I have been since way before I should have been a horror movie fan, um, it's such a fun time to be a movie fan. There's just such great movies coming out. There's great, you know, and like you said, it's a, such a great variety. You know, we've got a brand new um, screen movie coming out this year, and I'm a huge fan of that of that series. And it's just, it's you know, the closing out Halloween last year. It's just been a really fun time to kind of sit back and enjoy some really creepy, gory, funny, scary stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And referencing Megan specifically, I, I mean, if you look at the timelines for production, it's basically impossible that they copied her look in any way from Lestat and his, um, his costuming. But boy, there are some moments where you get <laughs> Megan like alone in a frame and you're like, they just, they made a little Lestat doll for this show, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I can't wait to watch it. My brother said he loved it, so. It is, it's very enjoyable and a really interesting performance. Let me praise here specifically, Allison Williams it plays sort of like the, the mom figure in this. She's not actually the mom, she's the aunt, but she, she's the, um, the robotics expert that is Megan's creator and is the little girl's guardian that, you know, the movie is centered around. And, it's super interesting. Her performance is very against type, I would say, for what I've seen Allison Williams do before. It's not like she's been in a million things, but I've seen her a lot. And this is very much against all of those roles. It, I almost didn't recognize her. She is playing so so different to me anyway. 
And oh, I nice. thought to myself, well, it is, at first I was sort of confused by it and I was like, why is she doing this? But then I realized I was just like, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting choice to mirror the storyline here. We've got a, you know, a killer robot and it's like, well, who would create a killer robot? I think honestly, Allison, not that Allison is an evil character in any way, her character is not, but it, it's interesting when you break that character down you're like oh this is the kind of person who could stumble backwards into this sort of creation you know <laughs> right, actually maybe right. so anyway very interesting movie and again that's cool, cool I'm, stuff I'm go check it out i'm pretty underwhelmed by her i'm usually pretty underwhelmed by her so i'm glad to hear that it's good that she's good in particular yeah 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 i'm, I'm really enjoying it we're gonna finish that up tonight and uh, i'll let you know but uh folks go check that stuff out uh check out yeah. episode five of mayfair witches and uh rejoin us next week don't forget to check out the conversations going on all, all week long in the facebook group and discord and until we talk to you again we've been your hosts i'm joel i'm ashley and we are the articulate coven Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends.